1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the finest hour of Colorado Rockies minor league coverage, episode 10 of the 2021 Pebble Report podcast with the usual suspects, the usual goodness. We're starting over, Kenneth. Goodness gracious. The usual
0: suspects talking about the usual subjects while Sally sells seashells by
1: the seashore. (laughs) You know, we might actually keep it now. That was actually impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try this again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the finest hour of Colorado Rockies Minor League Coverage, episode 10 of the 2021 Pebble Report podcast with the usual suspects. I am Justin Wick, joined alongside Kenneth Weber. You know what? We are going to keep that little edit right there. My My little catch mix up at the beginning. We're having some good time, and that's a good way to introduce you. How about that?
0: It humanizes you. You know, <laughs> you, you just sound so perfect and so silky smooth the entire way oh, through. And that's stop, just the man. magic
1: of the editing. This is bringing me a little <laughs> bit back down
0: to the rest of us mortal beings.
1: If you guys want to recognize the realness of your boy, Justin Wick, right here, you just took a firsthand seat of all that cool business going on. <laughs> Needless to say, we are running out of minor league coverage, so it looks to say like we are already in late season form, but we're here to have an absolute fantastic time as we get this thing rolling. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Very fun to trying to treat this as not quite a recap. Our plan is next week. We're hoping to release a final episode of the season just kind of recapping some of the top performers. But for this week, we've got some marquee details. We've got some championship business going on over the next hour or so. We're here to cover the low A Fresno Grizzlies currently throwing down for a low A West championship against the San Jose Giants. We're also here to cover the impending return of Peter Lambert soon to arrive back on the big league scene And first and foremost, we're going to touch on another team that is throwing down for a championship, this time in the high A West. That is the Spokane Indians. We've just got all kinds of exciting business going on right here, man. It's just really fun to be able to see some teams really putting some runs together and making it happen. So we will touch on Fresno here in a moment, but first and foremost, talking about the Spokane Indians finishing the year 67-49. and They finished the year on an unbelievable hot streak. I was counting it. Actually, before the podcast, we were counting the record by hand because we couldn't find, like, a sortable by month type of thing. So, Kenneth did all this deep research. I'll just I'll, – I'll give it to you because you were the guy just grinding it out, coming up with all this information. Spokane just ending the year. One of the hottest minor league teams out there as far as the, what it was in August and September.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was crazy because we always saw that the talent was kind of playing down – in the a levels with fresno and spokane fresno was running away with it record wise but spokane was still kind of middle of the road um they were sitting at 37 and 41 uh on august 1st and then they just ran the league by storm i mean they just ran over everybody and they went 30 and eight the rest of the way so from august 1st to the end of the regular season in the last week of september they went 30 and eight all the way through that is an insane run (laughs) <laughs> that they went on um, to get themselves into the position they are now. Now it's not perfect the way that the uh, championship series is going for them in the playoffs, but to even be in this position is a testament to just how good of baseball they
1: play. It's very, it's very fascinating just to kind of follow along, especially, you know, the hot streak that really has come together, but especially just taking a look at what it has been at the final stretch of the season, their last series, they were taken on the Everett Aqua Sox and, Last two games of the regular season got canceled because of rain, so that was yeah. Talk about a three-day layover when you're leading into a championship—that's not exactly ideal. But needless to say, they ended seven all over again. No kidding, just out of the middle of nowhere, wouldn't you know it? (laughs) It's very fun to at least follow along. You know, the final series that they did have—they had four wins that were coming together up in Everett at all Funko Field Classic Ballpark, and then even there, I mean, it was a little bit of a kind of—they went three and three against Vancouver in the middle of the month. But then against the Tri-City Dust Devils, navigating the COVID-19 issues that were going on, they had two cancellations, a Saturday and Sunday matchup, but they still were able to start off the season with, or start off the season, start off the month of September with three wins to really pull that together. So at least following along the interruptions that have been on the schedule as far as the rainouts, the COVID cancellations, a whole lot of these details that have come together but to recognize just the momentum that they pulled together in the month of August, they had three different postponements. They had to throw down some other double header type setups and it wasn't exactly a favorable schedule, especially, you know, when you're traveling around on the bus leagues in the Northwest where there's presumably a lot of rain throughout the month of August. But we were talking about this a little bit earlier, at least when we got before we got on the show anyways, talking about following just the cohesiveness and the way that a lot of these players are really gelling as far as, you know, this is high A and this is still a very developmental setting of the minor leagues. But at the same time, you're just encountering a lot of guys that are coming together as a group. And especially when you're really getting on a hot streak like this, it's very easy to be optimistic. It's very easy to be uplifted about your momentum and not to mention that, but when the rosters expanded to 28 guys in September up at the big league level, we saw resounding movement throughout the minor leagues and not just the Rockies, but any organization, you're going to call a couple guys up to make up for it. That's something we saw with Willie MacGyver throughout the year, but needless to say, whoever it has been in a Spokane uniform, it's just been very cohesive and they've been flowing ever since the midpoint of the season. So I think that's something to definitely recognize, especially when you're talking about developing relationships and within the Rockies organization that generally, I guess, for the most part, this isn't a complete factual detail, but a lot of very homegrown guys that come up through the Rocky system year after year. And it's pretty common to see these guys eventually working their way up to the big leagues. I think there's something to be said about the cohesiveness of this group as they keep climbing the ranks. And, you know, needless to say, it's very fun to see a winning team putting the stretch like this together and making a playoff push.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's Spokane has been one of the, the biggest pieces in pieces out levels of the minor league system as well. So you talk about, their entire season enjoying a nice watching Michael Toglia uh, hit the crap (laughs) out of the ball all year long. And then as you get down to the stretch run, it's like, all right, he's out of here, but here's Grant Levine. So now, you know, pieces moving in and out the entire way, but still maintaining success and even improving the team with new faces um, is a testament to just how well things are gelling in the A-ball levels in general, that they can still have new faces and achieve success everybody's kind of on the same page so they they definitely held it together um it would be nice if they had you know carl kaufman doing work for them <laughs> and they or maybe peter lambert who we'll touch on later being able to pitch during this stretch run but they're making do with what they have and they're still finding success regardless of you know what
1: I think there's definitely something to touch on as far as what's been going on within, as you take a look at the current playoff schedule that they have and what Spokane has been working with. It's been a little bit of a downer as far as, as we look at September. I'm sorry, as we keep pushing forward in through the month anyways, I'm all over the Mm -hmm. place looking at this, but as far as what Eugene has been doing, they've taken the first two games of the championship set. So I do want to point this out going, you know, it would have been ideal if we released this episode on Monday because now all of a sudden we're 0-2 in the championship set and Spokane is currently on the ropes. But yeah, at the same time, trade. taking a look at, yeah, of course, yeah. We're really, really, by the way, we're playing really hot baseball and oh, we've been outscored, I think it's, what is it, 18-7 to 7 in the first two games of the series. But Yeah,
0: Helcris Oliveris has had such an interesting year. So when we did like the purplest. A lot of people are still really high on hal Chris Oliveras because of his age relative to his level. He's a younger guy still has electric stuff, but man, it swings so wildly. So like in his three games started at the end of the regular season, basically his last month before the championship series, he had like a 0.95 whip 17 punch outs to seven walks. He was really good. So he gets the game one nod in the championship series and gets one out allowing eight runs with two walks and six hits and no strikeouts, three home runs allowed before he got pulled before the second out of the game even happened. So three
1: homers with one out recorded. That's that that's tough, man.
0: It has been a wild thing type of season for Helcris Oliveras. A lot of learning experience that he's had this year in Spokane, but that just kind of shows the the peaks and the valleys that we've been going through all year with Oliveras.
1: You know, we point him out and I remember, I, I think there was an article that I wrote for purple row when he made his, I think it was his spring training debut with mm-hmm. the big league club. It was taken, it was out at, I believe it was against the Dodgers out at Campbellback ranch and a big deal about, you know, he hadn't even turned 21 yet at this point, his 21st birthday was just a couple of weeks ago, but you know, he posted 7.33 ERA on the year. I suppose, you know, he's already in high a, so there's something to be said about, you know, if he was in Fresno, he's going to be faced with a little bit less refined hitters, but you know, the fact that he was able to close the regular season on such a high note, like he was able to develop the comforts and especially, you know, I realize we mentioned the shortened 2020 season and the canceled minor league season last year. I mean, that's something that we commonly point out and I get that it's almost just brainwash at this point because we say it all the time, but you know, for somebody that's 21 years old and the impact that that could have, that's very much a resounding effect that, you know, it clearly took him a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things as far as what he might've previously been accustomed to. And, I think it's an uplifting scene to be able to recognize that throughout the latter parts of August and into September, he was able to really put some serious stuff together. So again, very sour taste in your mouth. I really hope that, you know, the opening championship, I'm desperately begging that that is not something that he lives on or dwells off of, but needless to say, that's, I mean, it it is part of the gig. It is what it is. As Bud Black would say, that's baseball, I guess, but needless to say, as we look through, and I mean, especially picking out a couple of these other names, as far as what it's been to be able to put together a momentous run toward a postseason push, a lot of the bullpen guys that they've had. I know Finn Delbonta Smith has been somebody that's definitely caught some momentum toward the latter parts of the season. And then Dugan Darnell, he's got 15 saves on the year and he's been able to put together. He's got a 2.59 ERA. And especially as you continue to take a look at, you know, this could be a very hitter friendly league as we have seen with Everett in the po. Or, I'm sorry, with, with Eugene in the postseason series. I was just looking at Everett as the previous week of the series, of course, but I mean, especially if you take a look at how many runs have been scored throughout the month of September, just on the Spokane schedule alone, it's very easy to recognize that, you know, yes, a lot of it is due to the own that hitters in Spokane, putting this kind of stuff together, but it's something that, you know, to be able to have lockdown relievers that can really carry the momentum like this and really lift your team forward. I think that's been a huge setup for this team to have some success like that. So all around the diamond, especially, you know, we look at, it's been a marathon of a season. As far as, you know, you look at names like Ryan Rollison and Peter Lambert that have actually been there. It's just been, it's, it's fascinating to take a look at, I mean, even Willie MacGyver, I guess, if we want to go Mm -hmm. that far, but seeing the roller coaster of how it's been, how it's been put together, but especially when we've got some recurring guys, you know, like Finn Bonta Smith and just like all these Dugan Darnell's in the mix that have been there throughout the duration of the season, it's been fun to follow along. It's been fun to recognize that these guys are making a huge push to put the success on, I guess, the success of the later innings on their back at that point. And I think they definitely deserve some recognition for what they've done in this final stretch.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it goes back to the the interchangeable faces that have come in and out, you know, um, it still has a couple of core pieces there throughout the season. And I think on the Spokane side, we can touch on a few of them before we move over to Fresno as well. Uh, we talked about Oliveris on the pitching side. He's been in Spokane all year, but so is Chris McMahon. And he's kind of taken over an ace role for the Indians in his first full season in professional baseball after you know 2020 happened. Um, and he's been a very stabilizing force for the starting rotation, which they haven't had a ton of. Um, and that's one reason why the bullpen has shined is they've they've carried a lot of slack. But for the 2021 season in uh, Spokane, uh, McMahon was 10 and three with a 4.17 ERA over just shy of 115 innings pitched, over a strikeout per inning at 119 over those near 115 innings. So on the pitching side, he's been one of the uh, stabilizing forces for Spokane all season
1: long. I think that's definitely a good point. He's got a CSW, which is called strikes and whiff percentage of 29.2, which as far as the innings leaders for Spokane go, I, I think Trent Fennell is the closest one on the next mix. But I mean, he's he, McMahon is if you're pushing 30 percent in that, especially in your first year in the minor leagues, that's definitely suggesting, you know, not only does he have the nasty stuff that's going to be able to induce plenty of these swings and misses like this, But he's got just a formidable mix that he's been able to do it for, you know, he's exceeded the 100 inning mark, he's put it together at 22 years old. Again, if you're in 13 decisions in the minor leagues, I feel like that's definitely something that it speaks wonders as far as what he's been able to do after I think he only made four or five college starts in 2020. So now all of a sudden, you put him in the full mix, and he's able to put that together. But It's fun to recognize a lot of these guys putting kind of the team on their back and at least really being driving forces towards leading the direction, even if that means just eating up a big chunk of innings or eating up a big chunk of at-bats as a dependable person to make it happen. Some of the people I wanted to touch on as far as the outfielding core, Nico DiColati, my guy Isaac Collins, and then Brenton Doyle, all of them have an OPS of 749 or above. And I think that as we continue to recognize, call it what it is, AA Hartford did not have a very good year this year. I hate to be the bringer of bad news, but there's mm-hmm. going to be there's there's some shoes to fill, as their record will indicate. But it's fun to recognize that especially just a diverse position base of their starters and there's relievers, there's infielders, and there's definitely a devout outfielding core that will presumably have their take in double A here within, I guess, the next couple months. At least you can anticipate for some of them. It's fun to recognize the shoes that are going to be filled and it's fun to recognize that, you know, there's definitely some forward momentum as far as some of these young guns continuing to climb the ladder. So we are going to go down the ladder a little bit down to low a Fresno. Not that this is a consolation by any means because they are also playing for a championship right here. We've got the familiar suspect. I'm just going to say Zach Veen's name just so everybody gets all excited, but needless to say, one to thing hurt. that I, yes, needless to, yeah, of course, this guy has absolutely been tearing it up. Of course. But, I mean, I guess we can just touch on him as far as what his slash line is. 303, 403, 502. OPS a 906. Absolutely killing the game. He's – there's really just – I mean, it's fun to recognize that this guy's really blossomed into his own, and especially early in the season when a lot of the attention was on Drew Romo when he was really breaking out, and then all of a sudden Zach Veen became the Zach Veen that we thought he was going to be. That definitely led Fresno to – I don't think they made as a resounding of a push as Spokane did as far as just absolutely catching fire at the bottom half of the year, but it was more of a complete body of work suggesting that this team was in it from the beginning and they were able to make some stuff happen just over a lasting setting, which I think speaks volumes as far as these, you know, the lowest level of the minors, when you've got people that are prepared from day one to make that happen. So again, hate to be a downer here. They are also 0 two in the championship series, I really, we should have recorded on Monday. That's the thing. I, that's I, I feel bad. They do have an off day today, so we know that Fresno cannot be eliminated today. So you're gonna have to hold your horses until they throw down on Friday when they take on San Jose again. But again, it's been close, contested ball games. It was a one to three loss on Tuesday. It was a two to four loss on Wednesday. And at the same time, this is they have played eight consecutive games against the San Jose Giants and they've all been at home. So it's, yeah, I can only imagine San Jose is probably just ready to leave Fresno at this point in time, (laughs) but it's, it's been fun to follow. And especially recognizing, you know, it was kind of a back and forth set to close out the regular season. They lost the first two games in that San Jose series. They picked up a win in game three, They lost the next two. So they ended up going two and four in this set. So, I mean, it wasn't strong, but they finished the season with a seven and four win really suggesting that the momentum was carrying them through into this championship set. The momentum has not exactly carried them through into this championship set, but again, providing a comprehensive recap and let's call it what it is these championships do matter because you're definitely looking at a group of guys that, you know, you've spent the entire year together. You might as well cap this thing off. You might as well, or as the water boy would say, it's the final games of the season. Can't hold anything back. <laughs> I think that is the water boy, right? Is that it? Yeah. I'm going to feel bad <laughs> if I'm yeah, up. No, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, I mean, I, I think this is fun to recognize, you know, I think a casual fan can recognize that, What does it really mean to win a minor league championship? Well, point being, I don't think Willie MacGyver is devastated that he's in Triple A as opposed to not in Spokane playing for a championship right now. And that's kind of that's not calling him out. That's just kind of the nature of the way the minor leagues are. But recognizing that, you know, you don't have anything to lose. This is kind of a low stress setting. Of yeah, we've been together as this. We're going to claw it out. We're going to see how far we can go. So. As far as the cohesiveness that has come together, I realize that takes more of a team aspect, but we definitely want to highlight some of the individuals that have helped make this team what it is. And we're looking at names like Chris McMahon and of course, Zach Veen, Matteo Gill coming over in the Arenado trade. Mm -hmm. Eddie Diaz has been doing plenty of solid stuff in a similar position. And I want to open this up to you as far as where you think a significant level of the contribution has been. I kind of feel bad that I'm opening this up to such a vague question at this point, but you know, what is it with Fresno and the Zach Vean stories aside? I guess we can kind of eliminate him from the conversation because he's been absolutely killing it as a man child at 19 years old. But as far as the other significant positions, what do you really feel like it's been that's allowed them from beginning to end? How have they been able to stay resilient like they have?
0: Well, so it, it the way that we talk about some of the new faces um, that. Spokane has received. They're coming from Fresno. So you look at Ezekiel Tovar, who was excellent all year long at Fresno, got moved up to Spokane, and he's been holding his own at four years below the high A level, median age. So he was a big piece for him for a long time. But when Tovar leaves, somebody has to fill that slot. And I feel like Eddie Diaz took over a little bit. He leads the entire West, low A West, in stolen bases this year. Zach Veen is second on that. So, you know, it. (laughs) Veen has carried this team on his back for the most part. Drew Romo has been a solid performer all the way through. He's been great behind the dish. So it's really been Veen and Romo. Veen elevated to kind of a new level, while Romo has been consistently very, very good the entire year long. So that's the core that we have in place. Grant Levine was solid for uh, Fresno. After starting off maybe a little bit slow, he went up, took Michael Toglia's spot. So they had to start finding a little bit more production for the faces that were leaving. I think Mateo Gill got off to a really strong start, really scuffled through the middle of the season, but he started picking it up towards the end, replacing some of that production that maybe Levine left behind when he moved up to Spokane. And then when it comes to uh, Tovar, not only has Diaz improved, but there's a couple of complex league guys that have come up as well. Who we touched on a few episodes back was pretty solid for, uh, his cup of coffee, so to speak, in Fresno wasn't otherworldly, but he held his own as well in his first uh, first real taste on the full season side of it. Uh, another part to touch on, and this is even more dramatic than the hitting position player side, has been pitching. Pretty much anybody who has been solid in Fresno got moved up to Spokane. Pretty much anybody who was super solid in Spokane got moved up to Hartford. So there's been a lot of changes going on on the pitching side. Um, Somebody had to replace the production. Sam Weatherly was there the entire season. He's kind of been the Oliveris of Fresno this year, where great performances with some really, with some real clunkers along the way, too. But one person who has stepped up and and eaten a lot of innings down the stretch has been Tony Losey. Um, He also came over in the Nolan Arenado trade. He was a reliever for the majority of the season, but they started putting him in the rotation. In the last month or two, and he's performed pretty well. He has ten games started. His overall body of work, though, is a three and zero record uh, with a three three four ERA, one four eight WHIP, and he's got eighty punch outs in sixty four and two thirds innings. So, not the easiest role to convert from a, a reliever to a starter, but he has filled those shoes pretty well to the point where he's the game two starter in the championship series. So, again. They're playing with a deck of cards that is not completely full, but they're making the most of it. And they got themselves to this point by doing that for about a two month stretch to even be in the championship series.
1: You know, I think you bring up a tremendous idea as far as talking about, you know, converting from a reliever into a starter. And especially even with Weatherly, the way he's been able to put himself together mm-hmm. this season, it's fast. I think that you really have to take, especially in the lower levels of the minors, you have to take some statistics with a grain of salt because you recognize that these guys aren't exactly professionally refined quite yet. And I'm not trying to suggest that it's to dismiss Sam Weatherly's ERA that's pushing five at this point. I mean, it's not necessarily immaculate by any means, but taking a look at recognizing he's had a couple blow up outings, but he's had some other outings that have been just absolutely exceptional. And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the developmental curve that really goes into climbing yourself through the ranks and it's fun to recognize, you know, we've got a team with a record. I mean, they elapsed 70 wins. Their final record, it was 74 and 41. So, I mean, it clearly suggests that, you know, when you're putting together that level of success over the course of a season, it's not necessarily a team detriment. And I can only imagine that's probably pretty motivating when you recognize you're putting your team into a position to make a playoff push like this. But it's fun to at least keep an eye on, especially, you know, the base runners allowed. How is he controlling himself? How is he managing I think, especially in the minor leagues at the lower levels, it's easier for stuff to spiral out of control. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. Max Scherzer with guys on second and third, he's been there before. He knows how it's going to go. As opposed to you put 22-year-old Sam Weatherly or you put, I'm trying to think, whoever the youngest. Yeah, we, if you want to climb the list and go up to Spokane talking about all the other details with how you know, Chris oh, Oliver is Olavar- yeah. all of a sudden. But it's, it's – Interesting to recognize this, and I mean, I almost feel like you need to take a look at the age column and the era column at the exact same time. And this is where I like looking at FIP or XFIP to be able to recognize what is the base runner traffic? What is the three three true outcomes? How are they managing their walks and their strikeouts? And I would even suggest that that's probably a more essential statistic to look at. So I take Sam Weatherly, for example, he's got an ERA of 4.96, but his FIP is 3.97. So almost an entire point better than that. And even if you want to go to his XFIP, which normalizes for standard kind of fly ball percentages, he's posting a 3.56 at that point. So I think that's kind of suggesting, I guess, if we evaluate these statistics on a minor league level, that reveals that maybe he isn't quite as refined as we would necessarily see out of somebody like Peter Lambert climbing up through the minor leagues at a younger age. But I think it definitely recommends that his stuff is there and it's nothing to get discouraged about. And again, talking about somebody that didn't pitch very much in 2020 I hate to say this in a negative context. I say this more in a positive one. I think this is actually a very welcome sign to see somebody like Sam Weatherly putting that together. And especially if you take a look at a lot of those columns, if you compare XFIP to ERA for a lot of these guys in Fresno that are pitching, you'll see that those columns, their ERA is often worse than their XFIP might suggest, but I think that's very much standard and kind of comes with the territory for what low A baseball is. So anyways, with that being said, I guess you can kind of recommend there still is some room for growth for a lot of these guys, but recognizing that they already have grown at such a record pace and, you know, they're dominating their division a whole lot more than a lot of the other teams that they're squaring off on. There's a lot of excitement to have with this. And on top of that, you pair it with some essential bats that have come together and, the fruits of the Nolan Arenado trade labor. I, I mean, I, I know that's very trivial, and I probably shouldn't go there. And there's not going to be a lot of people that are happy with me saying this, but it's can't fun can't to recognize. You know, happened.
0: I mean, yes, it, and <laughs> it's hard facts that we have to accept, and we just have to move on with what we got. And there's some encouraging signs out of the 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 pieces that we received. Obviously, we are seeing you know, something. We have, yeah. Gomber, Montero, some but there's a few lower guys that, that are worth our attention as well, so can't change what's already happened.
1: It is fun to follow along, and I mean, again, it's nice to recognize that, you know, it's easy to still be somber about that. I hope that we can go one episode without saying Nolan Aranato's name, even on the minor league ranks, wouldn't you know? But I feel like it goes without saying. I mean, it's definitely fun to recognize that a lot of these guys are coming together in both Fresno and Spokane, and there's some uplifting sights to really come out of this. So as far as What we're looking at for the championship landscape, again, both Fresno and Spokane are 0-2 right now. Our record date is Thursday, September 23rd, and we're recording this in the morning. So later on this evening, which that is Thursday evening, the 23rd, Eugene is going to take on Spokane for game three of the championship. That game will also be in Spokane. Kicking off at 730 Mountain Daylight, for those of you in the Denver area. And then Fresno actually has today off, but they're also kind of there's going to be Champagne on Ice for a Jose or San Jose celebration tomorrow at 7:30 no, no, p.m. No, no. Mountain.
0: They're both going to pull off three in a row. They just needed <laughs> us
1: to, to chatter a little bit on an absolute tear. We have created the buzz, and now they're going to get resounding amounts of support from all the Pebble Report followers. So I think we're, we're doing start. our part. <laughs> look at this you guys are we're gonna have our year-end recap episode and you guys are gonna be like, I told you so check this out mm-hmm. <laughs> and we' are gonna take a short break once again you know sending our deepest, best of luck and congratulations for even making it there to both the fresno grizzlies and the spokane indians we're going to come back here in a brief moment we're going to cover the recent call up of peter lambert he has been called up before so we're not looking at necessarily a debut but at the same time a guy that has a lot of minor league experience this year or i guess he hasn't had a lot of minor league experience coming off of tommy john but he's been with a lot of teams through the minors. Needless. So we're still talking about prospect status for Peter Lambert. We're very excited to see him toe the rubber against the San Francisco Giants on Friday night. We'll cover all those details. We'll walk through our full rundown of all affiliates. And until then, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Pebble Report podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast. We're here to talk about a guy that has appeared for three different affiliates this year. He's also only made seven appearances. So we're looking at a very limited size, but we're looking at a guy that's collecting a lot of minor league hats all the way up. Which, you know, nothing wrong with that. That's kind of the luxury of getting called up. You get one of those brand new New Era caps everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how many hats has Peter Lambert acquired over the course of the season. I don't know what, I mean, Spokane, they got multiple ones. Hartford's got multiple ones. Albuquerque's got different ones. I can only imagine he would get one even if he didn't pitch in a certain day, but like, are we just bankrupting new era cap right now? Just, I mean, not that they need any more money because they're selling some of the most ridiculous caps you'll ever see. And if you're on Twitter, you'll be <laughs> well aware of that kind of details. Yeah. This is oh, a, doesn't goodness. even take into consideration all his trips to the lid store
0: when he goes to the mall.
1: we We do not even know the football preferences there you go we gotta have peter lebert on to discuss his hat collection right here yeah
0: somehow he walked (laughs) with a calgary flames hat really
1: okay you're like wow peter had no idea there you go there he breaks out a college hat going yep Mm -hmm. of course all right there you go well he's getting his big league lid back on him again he'll be rocking the home cap with the black brim for the colorado rockies here this upcoming friday um september 24th friday is going to be when he makes his return to the big leagues so if you're tuning in any days later there's a good chance that this result has already come together so you know do us a favor see if we're like good fortune tellers or something like that but anyways we were touching on this a little bit before the show talking about we really don't know what to expect out of peter lambert at this point and i don't necessarily know if it matters like at this point in the season Let's call it what it is. The Rockies are on the brink of elimination from the postseason. They're probably not going to make much of a push. They have an opportunity to catch the Padres, but I also don't think that should prorate any developmental priorities at this point in time. But boy,
0: would it be fun.
1: (laughs) Although it would be absolutely awesome. Let's call it what it is. I know I was so excited about it. I had to write a whole article. And if I can selfishly plug this, check out Purple Row last Tuesday. (laughs) it's Anyways, talking about what Peter Lambert has put together. Again, he's only made seven appearances. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery, had the surgery performed last summer. He made his return on, on, I'm sorry, August. Every time I say August, I think April for some reason. and I stutter over my words. I really need to get this better in my my own broadcasting career. Somewhere between May and September. (laughs) Did you guys need to know that at all? Absolutely not. But anyways... (laughs) August 18th was his season debut. He pitched two innings for Spokane. He put together a solid, at least, debut return from Tommy John, breaking in his scar a little bit. Two innings, no runs, allowed one hit, struck out two. We've also seen a very roller coaster of what we've seen out of this young man. Just a couple days later, after that season debut, he pitched two thirds of an inning. He allowed three earned runs, didn't strike out anybody. Next outing, two runs and two innings. Next outing, scoreless three. Next outing, scoreless two and two thirds. So as I verbalize this, it would be a whole lot easier for you guys to just look at it as a table. And I'm starting to recognize that. (laughs) But anyways, putting this together, his strikeout stuff is still there. He's put together 19 strikeouts and 16 innings. So body of work wise, it suggests that he's still got the lights out stuff that we've been looking for. He's also hit three batters in one appearance on September 5th. He was, he was was It was his debut with Hartford this year. He went two and two-thirds innings, hit three batters. He only allowed one run, which was awesome, and he also struck out five. So I can only imagine standing in the batter's box that day as you're collecting five strikeouts and three hit-by-pitches in less than three innings. But anyways, <laughs> put together a pretty solid body of work at that point. And then from there, he's compiled. He had – His last two outings, one of them was a three-inning performance that was one run allowed, one solo shot. That was his final outing with Spokane. And then his lone outing in AAA, that was a two and two-thirds outing that he didn't allow a run, struck out three. And what he did in AAA definitely suggested that he's got a little bit of momentum pushing him forward, and maybe we're going to see something in the big league level that resembles kind of the body of work that he put together as a full-time big league starter. So I want to compile this very lightly because i don't know how to go about this the best way but how do you anticipate what do you you think we're going to see out of him in the big league level and it seems like he's definitely prepared as the strikeouts would suggest but do you feel like he's any more or less prepared than the rockies might think he is at this point in time
0: i think that there's going to be a lot of kid gloves that they have to handle um lambert with i think it's going to be kind of reminiscent to uh ryan feltner's debut earlier in the season where they're not going to just let him get beat up out there for six innings because they're trying to save the bullpen the whole point of bringing Peter Lambert up this season is he's part of the plans of the future and that was made clear in 2019 when he was called up so they're getting him back in they're making sure that he's part of the equation at least for a small segment of the 2021 season because they're going to count on him 2022 and onward it's it's different circumstances, but it's a little similar to how Kyle Freeland ended up making it back to the majors in his disaster season where he spent the majority of the time uh, in the minor league ranks. You know, it's – I don't have high expectations for his performance necessarily. It'd be great if he goes and throws six shutout innings or something Just like cars. that. But yeah, no
1: kidding, and we're starting it's to not, look at it. Yeah,
0: you know, it's it's his eighth appearance of the season. It's recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's still getting a feel for a lot of his arsenal. And I think that's one thing that goes um, underappreciated when it comes to recovering from Tommy John surgery is the stuff may be there, but the release of the ball itself is still something that you have to figure out as an individual. And I think that that's been reflected with his five hit by or uh, five hit batters and seven walks and 16 innings in the minor league so far. So It's still coming around on the control and the command side of things. There's still a little bit of of electricity in the arm. And if he wasn't showing that, he wouldn't be back in the majors right now. Um, I think there's a pretty good quote that um, surmises what the expectations are of Lambert right now. And uh, this is coming from Scott Little, the Spokane Indians manager. You don't really have many expectations for a guy who hadn't pitched in so long. But I know he's always going to be a competitor. This stuff's getting better and better, and he, and he keeps getting stronger. That was good to see, and I tip my hat to him that he's gotten back to where he is. He did well. So, you know, I'm not investing a lot in the actual outcome of the performance, but to see him actually get back to the major leagues this season after recovering from Tommy John and after losing 2020 not only to surgery, but probably not being able to rehab the way that he or the organization would like due to the pandemic. It's been a long road, and he's back in the majors, so – That's the good signs. And you just have to carry those good feelings into 2022 with him.
1: I think that's a very honorable way of taking it. And especially, I mean, the rigors of what Tommy John surgery can do, even just on a mental standpoint, which, you know, believe me, I'm not here to evaluate mentalities of pitchers because that's a completely different argument that, you know, you can take that any direction for that matter, but recognizing that You know, he's been able to follow up some tough outings in the minor leagues with some pretty solid outings. And he's been limited to he's only thrown three innings at the most, which I would presume that will probably be the reasonable cap that the Rockies are going to put him on as far as what he's going to be doing in the big league setting. But I've really thought of this as far as I think this is kind of like a glorified spring training appearance for him that you can't duplicate that upper deck. And I mean, sure, Salt River Fields is gorgeous, but, you know, it doesn't seat 50,000 people like Coors Field does. And I think that, especially being removed from the big league scene since the end of 2019, he barely even got to sniff any degree of competitiveness, but I think it's very cool to just reward somebody, especially after the resiliency of what's taken place through Tommy John surgery. I think that it's probably just more important that you get him up into the big leagues to give him a taste of that again. And I don't necessarily think that the result matters because he's already proven that he can hold his own in the big league levels. I think it would be different if you're talking about a guy that's been a lifer in AAA, that's trying to break through, just has Tommy John. And then, Oh, Hey, by the way, we're going to give you this reward. Well, mentally, I think that could kind of do a number on somebody because now you're expected to be at the pinnacle and, yeah, your coming out party could be a little more averse if you're kind of taking that over, if that were what Peter Lambert would be working with in this situation. But, you know, again, he's made a ton of big league starts, or at least with respect to his age, a ton of big league starts. And he's already suggested that he belongs. So I'm curious to follow along, especially he's making his return against the Giants, which, I mean, that's something that I kind of feel bad about, especially if you take a look at the Rocky schedule moving forward. They have the Nationals and the Diamondbacks to finish the year.
0: Now, that's kind of it's where presumable. i'm at
1: like, yeah
0: and yeah, welcome back to the major leagues here's the best record in the national league have fun that's
1: just i mean if he if he carves so that's awesome at least yeah, that'd be great but if you, <laughs>
0: if you want to give him some warm and fuzzy feelings i think the nationals or the diamondbacks give that a little bit better than the sure. giants do so that's my my only qualm with with the whole thing is man it'd be nice if you pushed him to monday instead of friday
1: I think something that was kind of comparable, at least in my mind, was when Jose Mejica made his big league debut last year. He did it against a Padres team that was making a lot of noise at the time, that is. We're going to disregard what they're doing right now. But 2020, you know, the Padres were a big time formidable force and everybody knew it at that point in time. So yeah, throwing him to the Wolves with the bases loaded in the first inning, that was very tough for Jose Mejica. And his final outing of the year was, I think it was the exact final game of the season in 2020 against the Diamondbacks, if I'm not mistaken. So that was something that I thought of. I do think Lambert definitely is a little bit more equipped than what Mejica is. And, you know, his baseball reference, big league stats will show that instantly, but I'm excited as far as a fan Mm -hmm. viewership standpoint and I mean this is I'm I'm not trying to suggest the Rockies are saying this is a bad move I think more than anything it's just the timeliness of if you're going to get him some reps you have to pitch him against the Giants and they're doing it at the beginning of the series if they were pitching him on Sunday I think it would be really easy to just roll him into an early midweek outing and not think much of it as far as just rolling him out with the Nationals but Mm -hmm. all the while it's It's going to make for, this has just been such an interesting week at the big league level because we've had Walker Bueller, we've got Max Scherzer, we've got Kevin Gossman. We've got three potential Cy Young finalists that are coming together, at least on the opposing side. And, you know, not to bash the Rockies rotation, they've got a pretty solid starting core at least with respect to how it's been in the past. But now all of a sudden we're putting Peter Lambert's name in there. And I can only imagine that's a pretty cool company to be in, especially when you recognize that the Cy Young race has been very much running through Denver this week. And, you know, personally, myself following prospects, I'm just as excited to follow Peter Lambert this week as I am to see Max Scherzer pitching in Coors Field. Well, that that might not be exactly true, if I'm being honest. I'm really excited to see Scherzer pitching you can in can put him in the same conversation.
0: <laughs> if Peter Lambert turns into Max Scherzer, then great. Maybe we can look at it later on and be like, I'm as excited to watch Peter Lambert do his thing as I am to watch Seven years from now, (laughs) pitching prospect come up like, yeah, you you hope that it's good competition to face. And I mean, this is this is the charm of being a major league player, especially at a younger age like Lambert, too, is, um, you know, not many guys get to say they went up against Max Scherzer. Not many guys get to say that they went up against peak Kevin Gossman. Or sure. Pete Walker Bueller or something like that, too. So to be in the same breath, the same conversation, that's the other side, probably more of the emotional side of getting him back into the major leagues, you know, feeling like he belongs against the greatest competition in the world.
1: Absolutely. And especially, you know, as you break in that Tommy John scar, just to be able to get that taste of what it is again. I mean, I don't mean to talk about my own personal take. I know we've mentioned before Kenneth and I both Tommy John veterans, but I mean, I can remember, you know, my first game back, that was a very cool moment. And Peter Lambert's already had that. He already had that in Spokane at the beginning of the year, but he gets another dose of it in the big league ranks. And I can only imagine that's just going to be a very cool moment, especially realizing that, you know, all the hard work has really gotten back to where he's wanted to be. And it's it's a whole lot different of a game when you recognize that what you've been through, you're a different pitcher, you're a more refined person, and you're really putting yourself in a pretty solid mix as far as, you know, that's, that's some gratification that's pretty solid. So he's going to be taking on Alex Wood tomorrow night. That is the probable starter for the Giants. When I say tomorrow, I mean Friday. My apologies as I just assume everybody's listening live, of course, but Alex Woods put together a pretty solid year. He's got a sub four ERA. It's not necessarily to the rankings of some of the other starters in the Giants mix, which, of course, they have a deep mix. They're the best team in the National League right now. But anyways, we are very fired up to be able to put that together. A guy that we haven't seen a whole lot in the minor league ranks, but we did at least this year. But we definitely don't want to overlook all the good stuff that he's been doing. And we're certainly hoping for the best as he makes his return to the big leagues on Friday night against the giants with yeah, that being said, strong, Peter, there you go. Go to guy, break in the scar at 20th and Blake and go do what you got to do. And not to mention, you know, make it tough on the, on the giants, I guess. Yeah. Though, who, who are you rooting for? Are you root for the Gi- the do- you're rooting for the giants over the Dodgers, right? Absolutely. I would root
0: for a meteor striking the earth. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Giants. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I will I will second that. I know we're not supposed to be partisan here on the show, but you know what? Actually, yes, we are supposed to be partisan. We're fans. For- You're Rockies fans.
0: <laughs> the Dodgers have won eight in a row. They cannot win nine in a row. I I was making, <laughs> I was having this conversation with somebody uh, earlier in the week. The Rockies are finishing strong, and there's a lot. It, it's very divisive on the Rockies' finish to their season, but. If the Rockies falling from the 6th, 7th pick to the 12th, 13th pick is the trade that I have to make to watch them ruin the Dodgers getting a nice <laughs> trade in West. I absolutely make that trade. So, yes, I for sure <laughs> am all on board with the
1: Giants taking this. When we're covering the MLB draft next year on the Pebble Report podcast, we're going to remind everybody to check this out. Remember the enthusiasm that came out of us dethroning the reigning seven times over champs all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah.
0: Blame me if you want for the Rockies having the lower pick because <laughs> I was
1: rooting for it, but I don't care. I hope the Dodgers lose a lot. <laughs> well, bid a very humble best of luck to the San Francisco Giants. Of course, we're not going to root against our own team this week, but you know, Hey, if we keep winning ballgames, we got a chance to catch the Padres too. So there's definitely, there's I mean, let's put it this way for the sake of not making the postseason. It's kind of a good time to be a Rockies fan at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll ride this out. We've got only a couple more days left in the big league season. Of course, a lot of the minor league seasons are coming to an end. But very excited to bring this down. We're going to go through. We're going to go through our rundown of looking back and not really looking ahead because this is kind of the end. But, anyways, our standard recap of what how the minor league teams have finished out the 2021 slate. We'll present that as much of a standard configuration as we possibly can. And then from there, we will pick for what is left in the season, our final breakout players to watch. And then we'll send you guys home with all the invaluable insights that you need for the waning days of the 2021 minor league season. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final rundown of the 2021 minor league baseball season. This is it. This is probably the most fun we have on the entire segment. And the fun is coming to a close, which only means we're going to have to bring this back next year. So don't run out of enthusiasm at this point in time, because we've got a lot of cool stuff. And we're going to have just as much fun in this final rendition as we have all year, except we just don't have as much information to touch on. So it might be a little quicker. Anyways, starting all the way up at the the top, AAA Albuquerque last week was not a good week for the Isotopes. They went one and six on the road, taking on the Sugarland Skeeters. This week, they are back at home. They have modified the AAA schedule for the remainder of the year to where they have two five-game series remaining. So as opposed to the standard Wednesday off days, they've modified it. Instead of six days, six-game series, it's now five games. So the Reno Aces are going to make their way down to Albuquerque. Reno just went to work against the Salt Lake Bees. They scored 67 runs in six games, so hopefully that one off day will – yeah, maybe that will yield something of a little bit of a change in perspective at this point. I'm really banking on that. But they're bad. So this is – jeez, man, that's just insane. This is the final home series for the Isotopes. They are going to finish the season on the road against the Sacramento Rivercats, so still a couple of frequent flyer miles to pack onto the Albuquerque schedule, but that will close it out. And we've got some cool promos this week. We've got short sleeve hoodie night for people coming out to the park on Sunday afternoon. They got some fan appreciation business going on on Friday and Saturday. So that's kind of cool. We got some serious stuff. I haven't seen the short sleeve hoodies, but you know what? If you guys want to mail one to me and find out what my address is through Twitter, by all means, if anybody from Albuquerque is checking it out, I'll, re- I'll represent a little bit. You got to send two, though. I can't be leaving my guy Kenneth out to dry.
0: Please. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a... I'm a
1: medium, small, medium. <laughs> this is going to be one of the one size fits alls. I'll take mm-hmm. the youth extra large and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Double A Hartford is done for the year. This is going to be the sober part of our setup. The final series was a home set against the Portland Sea Dogs. The Goats went two and four. They did finish the year with a 5 2 win. So at least they finished on a high note, but they finished with a 39 and 79 record. Let's just call it what it is. That was a tough year for the crew, finishing six of six in the double A Northeast. I feel like if we highlight the highs in this program, we also kind of have to highlight the lows, but I guess fortunately for the system anyways, we've got guys in the lower levels that are really making it happen as we touched on earlier in the show. At this point in the show, you're well aware of what's been happening with Spokane and Fresno, so we won't touch on that too much anyways. Again, High-A Spokane throwing down for a championship against the Eugene Emeralds. Low-A Fresno throwing down for a championship against the San Jose, San Jose Giants. Both Eugene and San Jose are Giants affiliates, so it's Giants versus Rockies in both High-A and Low-A. It's not as clear-cut because they do the whole East-Central-West setup in High-A and Low-A, so it's not like this is the World Series of High-A even though I think that would be pretty awesome if they did that. But <laughs> anyways, only surmounting the NL West rivalry action as the Giants take on the Colorado Rockies this weekend at the big league setting. The row, Arizona Complex – there you go. We're on – yeah, we got some momentum rolling through this. The Arizona Complex League, they are the champions of the Complex League. Colorado Rockies affiliate. There was an awesome celebration video on Twitter of the crew on the on the spring training backfield they won the championship on. I love it, man. Grassroots, that's my kind of ball right there. Big tip of the cap to manager Jake Opitz for leading the entire crew. Honestly, a huge tip of the cap to the entire Opitz family, for that matter. A lot of Colorado ties right there. Casey Opitz is a University of Arkansas catcher that I was really hoping the Rockies system were going to pull through. Heritage High School alum from Colorado, big time catcher. Also, have to selfishly plug my former teammate right there. A lot of love for Casey.
0: So he's in the uh, Cubs organization now.
1: That's right, Myrtle Beach Pelicans, right there. My favorite, mm-hmm. one of my favorite dudes from outside of the Rocky system.
0: Seriously, that so, is a big time baseball family in Colorado. The Opitz family. Yes, so to, she- to see Casey in pro ball, to see Jake being affiliated with the Rockies in a manager capacity, like that's 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 huge because that's been a big name for uh, Colorado baseball for a
1: while. It's very cool to recognize, especially Jake taking it over within the Rocky system from a developmental standpoint. I know Shane Opitz, another one of the brothers in that mix, he's got some pretty rich minor league backgrounds as well. So if you're looking for some invaluable insights right there, those are the people that you want to be. Those are some people that had get some pretty good conversations right there. So very cool. Going down the list, I don't know if this is down the list, actually, but this is kind of a new asterisk that we put into the mix. The Arizona Fall League, the schedule has mm-hmm. been announced. We've got some cool details coming at you from phoenix arizona the rosters have not yet been announced and kenneth and i just spent the entire commercial break speculating who we think is going to be there we will hold tight for the official announcement before we kind of break out some details right there and the season opens on october 13th so we'll have the rosters out sooner than later the rockies are again an affiliate for the salt river raptors as has been the standard since salt river fields opened back in 2011. So the home games will be played at the spring home of the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and every single Arizona fall league team is made up of five different big league organizations. So they divide out the rosters of an equal percentages from five different teams. So the Diamondbacks and the Rockies will share the Rafters name with the Brewers, the Mets and the Tigers. So you guys are going to be absolutely brilliant minds for Milwaukee, New York, Detroit, Arizona, and Colorado top prospects if you're following the Arizona Fall League you are gonna get so Spencer
0: Torkelson like a lot
1: that is that's a good dude honestly that's gonna be pretty cool to follow along and I mean I know For- he's not directly promoting the Rockies but you know in the heart of that Salt River order I can only imagine that's gonna be some serious firepower and you're gonna want to recognize hat. that guy <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it going back to his home collegiate grounds of greater Phoenix Arizona the Arizona State Sun Devil making it back all-time again, I know I, home run leader for asu i believe that's right and you know there's or a guy by the name he, of he's, he's, is he yeah a guy by the name of barry bonds also happens to be an alumnus he's either the
0: all-time leader or he broke the freshman record for home runs for a Sun devil but when you you're know, he, overtaking barry bonds on all-time <laughs> lists like dude you got something going for you
1: you got reggie jackson on that list as well you got a lot of guys coming through there. <laughs> that's right <laughs> speaking of Mets affiliate right there <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's very cool. And I mean, it's, it's going to be exciting to recognize that. And on top of this, you know, kind of a selfish plug, the Arizona fall league, some of my favorite baseball that goes on. I remember seeing Cody Bellinger hit one in the fall stars game before Bellinger really made a name for himself. And, you know, if you get the opportunity and if you need a baseball fix through November, by all means, check this out. It's some of the most pure baseball that you will ever see. I know we touched on this on a previous episode, so I won't dwell on it too much, but again, the schedule has been released. Rafter is going to open up with the Peoria Javelinas in a home game at Salt River Fields. Imagine kind of a spring training style in the fall league, all six teams based in Grainer Phoenix and just an awesome setup. If you're in need of that baseball fix all the way up through the weekend before Thanksgiving Man, we got baseball all the way through and it's going to get us to spring training sooner than we know it. So we're going to cap this off. We've got our recurring segment of breakout players to watch. Again, we don't have a whole lot of games remaining. So we're looking at, like, it's, it's AAA, or if we feel really ambitious, who's somebody that's going to do something huge in the low A or the high A championship? <laughs> so we have stuck through it. We picked two AAA guys. Kenneth, you want to take this off?
0: Yeah, um, I'll start, and I'm going to go with Will McIver. Um, it's a interesting choice. I'm not necessarily looking at the breakout. It's more the to watch uh, part of the segment. McIver finished the season in Hartford, or at least we presumed he was going to finish the season in Hartford after completely blowing up Spokane. Hartford finished their season. Obviously, they had an abysmal record and it's over, but the Rockies actually, in a bit of a surprise move, decided to move McIver up to AAA Albuquerque to finish up the season as well. He's going to get some more at-bats. He struggled a little bit in Hartford, but they want to really test him this season. And so it's going to be interesting to see what he does in this last couple of games in Albuquerque, just because they're pushing him pretty hard. Uh, He has, he'll now have three different affiliates. He will play for this season. They're really seeming to prep him for a 40 man roster spot, maybe be that third catcher here in the immediate future. So how he competes at the upper level after not finding a ton of success in double-A It's going to be really interesting to watch. So Will McIver is my guy to uh, to watch.
1: That would be very cool if he's really able to end the season on a high note. And I mean, even if he just kind of rides it out and does what he's been doing for the remainder of the year, it's definitely Mm -hmm. cool to recognize there's an expedited path to the big leagues for this guy. And it's fun to recognize he's definitely getting his feet wet as far as the season that's remaining. I am going to go with a guy that's a little bit more established in the big leagues, not because of his future with the Rockies necessarily, because I don't know how long he might stick around in the Rockies organization, but I'm going with Greg Bird. He has had six and I'm sorry, he's had hits in six of his last eight games. He's left the yard twice in the last five days. I don't anticipate he'll be in the big leagues for the rest of the year, barring any injuries or something like that. I can only imagine he's pretty upset that Matt Adams probably took his spot in the big leagues earlier in the year as well. He's not the only one. Yes, there you go. I feel like this is a guy that, you know, he's probably really making a push to reach that fifth year of service time. He's about to turn 29, so he might have some life left in the tank. But if he can end this season on a high on a very high note, I think that's something that can pay off for him big time in terms of, A future big league roster spot or at the very least an invitation to big league camp in spring training next year. This is his last chance to really make a statement. And I like his odds, especially, you know, as experienced as he is, he's got something to prove. There's a unique dynamic in AAA right now, especially when the rosters open at the big league level. You saw a lot of the really successful players in AAA make the jump. And I realized that kind of depleted a lot of the premier pitching in AAA right now. I mean, if you take what the Rockies did, they brought up a bunch of relievers. I realize that's not exactly the case as far as when they just made some other position player call ups, as since the rosters have been up and down. But I think that the reserve of good AAA pitching not only is it tired right now, but a lot of those really good arms are now in the big leagues to finish out the season. So Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a good recipe for success for Greg Bird to put this together. And, you know, he might not necessarily be playing for his future with the Rockies organization, potentially, but as far as his future elsewhere and his future in the big leagues, I think that there's a lot to show for this remainder of the season. And we've got some stuff going on with that guy.
0: Yeah, and I will say that Connor Joe is out for the rest of the season, so maybe his chances improve slightly. I, I that don't expect him to get called up, but your point remains valid. Whether he finishes in Colorado or whether he finishes in Albuquerque, he's kind of playing for his job for next season. You know, it's it's not closed on Greg Bird throughout the league yet, so hopefully he finishes strong because, I mean, this is, this is a guy that we have strong sentimental attachments to, uh, or at least most Rockies fans, because he's from the Colorado area. He went to grandview high school you know was the catcher for kevin gossman is pretty well known story that's right there you go you know he he came on to the league real strong with the yankees and the the career has been derailed a little bit but everybody's really hoping that he gets back so finish strong wherever it is whether it's colorado whether it's albuquerque and get back up there greg bird
1: pushing another selfish colorado plug for Aurora native Greg Bird, absolutely. <laughs> there it is, him and Will MacGyver, our breakout players to watch, and that is gonna do it for our show. This is episode 10 as we put the final touches together. We are so excited to be bringing back another episode of this podcast. In the waning days of the minor league schedule, be sure to check us out on Twitter for some other real-time some other real insights. We definitely want to make sure, especially as these championship matchups are going on in low A and high A. If there's anything that comes out, feel free to check us out. You can find Kenneth at Kdub1988, myself at JustWick, and then, of course, all over Purple Row at Purple Row on Twitter want to give another shout out to our colleagues at SB Nation and all of our media friends across all the Rockies affiliates. And as always, a huge shout out to the Affected by Altitude podcast crew. Big tip of the cap to Evan Lang, Mac Wilcox, and Skylar Timmons. Skyler wasn't with us this week, but he was last week, and Skylar did a fantastic job. So make sure you check him out over on the Affected by Altitude crew. The latest episode came out, I believe, yesterday. It came out on Wednesday of this week. and Definitely check that one out if you haven't already. And until next time, we're looking forward to hopefully bringing you one more final season recap episode in the final days of this Pebble Report podcast, but we cannot wait to bring it to you. Thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in for yet another episode. And until next time, let's go Rockies. Let's go Grizzlies. Let's go Indians. Let's go Yard Goats. even though your season's done. Let's go Isotopes in the final stretch that we've got. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's play ball. Thank you for tuning in. Three in a row, do it. Let's go do it, baby.